Jesus has broken Satan's power. That liberates us to a different sort of life. It will still contend and struggle, but it is a struggle which now is conducted in hope and faith. And for that hope and faith, it is a struggle which is fought the more vigorously and with greater fervor, even though we ourselves may suffer repeated setbacks and loss. We are on the side of him who has won the great victory over Satan in the cross and especially the empty tomb. Hi, this is Pastor John Edding. Thank you for listening to the Sandhills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. Let's get to today's sermon entitled, He Crushed Satan's Head. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, please join me in prayer. O Lord, throughout these 40 days you prayed and kept the fast. Inspire repentance for our sin and free us from our past. You strove with Satan and you won. Your faithfulness endured. Lend us your nerve, your skill, and trust in God's eternal word. Amen. It is hard to imagine a paradise that has been lost. It's hard to imagine what the Garden of Eden was like because it just is simply lost to us. God's word tells us that it was a beautiful word, world. Now, it, God, the Lord God who worked in stages, and at the end of each stage, he declared it was good. You could say in, in six days, he created the heavens and the earth, and like a, a good Old six stanza hymn. At the, at, at the end of each stage of the creation of the heavens and the earth, that hymn, each stage, would end with the refrain. You know, perhaps it was softly sung by God or maybe exuberantly shouted. Good. It was good. It was good because... Goodness flowed from the heart of God. From the heart of the Lord God to every part of the world. Now there's only one time during the creation of the world that the, these words, it is not good, was heard. And that's verse 18. Uh, Chapter 2, then God, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the animals were brought to, to man and he named them, and, but none of them was found to be a fit helper. So the Lord God made a woman from the rib of the man and brought her to the man. And the Lord God acting as the father of the bride, walks the bride down the, the aisle to her husband. And the man who's still in the naming mode says, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then God gives the woman to the man. And then God turns around and he marries them. And it was good. They were one 
one flesh. They were both naked and not ashamed. And it was good because goodness flowed from the heart of God to every part of the world. And on the seventh day of creation, the Lord rested. And although the Lord God made nothing on that day, he created a high holy day, a day of rest. He rested as to set an example for his human creatures, that they would cease from work and from doing and focus on being the human creature the Lord God made them to be. And later they would use this day to hold God's word, holy word, sacred, and gladly hear it and learn it. And learn what? A goodness flow from the heart of the Lord God to every part of the world. But the goodness flowing from the heart of God to every part of the world is turned back against God. In our reading from Genesis 3, the crafty one gets the woman and the man to do the unthinkable. He gets them to set aside their trust in the goodness of God. And he does it this way. He plants the seed of distrust in their hearts and their minds. He plants the seed of distrust that God knows what is good for them. He gets them to think that God is holding out on them. Get them to think that maybe it is better to make our own choices. And here's how he did it, um, in a nutshell. And then what happened? Did God really say? Was the opening salvo? Did God really say? Did he? Well, yes. But does he mean it? And then he contradicts God's commands. You will not die at least not right away. God doesn't mean that. He said it just to frighten you. And Satan makes a promise of his own. Promises that are unbelievably believable. Your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil. Well, sure enough, the eyes of both were open. Uh... Returning to my opening thought, it's hard to imagine what we actually lost because we are so used to this Genesis 3 world, the world gifted to us by God has become a Genesis 3 world. This is not to deny God's creation touch. I mean, there are echoes of the good that warms our hearts, the spectacular beauty of a sunset or the enthralling opening of a flower or the goo-gooing of a, of a baby <laughs> uh, just melts your heart as, they, as the baby begins to explore the, sound, the joy of sound. This is still the Father's world, and we're not consigned to hopelessness or a joyless life. It is a world still filled with the goodness and the grace of God. But it is a contested world. Uh, there is an enemy, and Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that the struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, the enemy is not other people. 
And how important is it for us to remember this? The enemy is not other people. How could this be? Well, Jesus shed his blood for all people. He loves all people. But one of the realities of a Genesis 3 world is that all relationships have been broken. The relationship between God and people, broken. The relationship of people between people, broken. The relationship of people with the creation, the world, broken. So can people be a problem? Well, of course. (laughs) And can people be deceived and used by the enemy? Yes. But are they the enemy? The scripture says, no, the enemy is not flesh and blood. No, people are not the enemy. You know, uh, they're not, people are not the enemies. How many times have we fallen for this demonic trick? Written uh, people off as though they were themselves the enemy. I know I have had many times that I've had to repent of that. No, people are not the enemy. Satan is. Our reading from chapter 3 shows us that he seeks to confuse us about himself, his powers, and his schemes. Uh, He tries to mimic God and then makes promises for those who fall for his lies. Think, uh, Think about the promise he made to the woman later named Eve once he had confused her about God's word of command regarding the tree of life. You will be like God, verse 5. You will be like God. Now, Paul warned us about this when he wrote, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Now, whenever Satan has tricked us to see another person as the enemy, so we fight that person and then we focus on that person. He has us fighting on the wrong battlefield. And our enemy, Satan, loves that. You and I are engaged in a battle with an enemy who is completely outmaneuvers and outclasses us. Satan is an ancient and wily foe who has tricks up his sleeves that you could not even imagine. He plays our first parents, he lies and deceives and ensnares them with ease. Without their virtue, we don't have their virtue and their uh, unbroken image of God. What hope do you and I have, possibly have, only this, that one of us, Jesus of Nazareth, has finally and fully resisted Satan's temptation. But you and I are still in this broken world, and it, it bites hard. Labor is laborious, painful, and deadly. Uh, Women are bruised and battered by men who should be protecting and caring and providing for them. Yet it is by the seed of Eve, a son, a descendant of these, first to know misery, that God has crushed Satan's head. 
and destroyed his power over us. And this is the promise made to Eve and Adam that one day her descendant, a seed, would crush Satan's head. The New Testament, of course, identifies that head crusher, Jesus. But here things get a little difficult. Satan, whose power has been broken by Jesus, remains dangerous and powerful for us until our reception into heaven and his final eternal imprisonment in a lake of burning sulfur, Revelation 20, verse 10. Now we live in this in-between times. We live in the truth that this prophecy, this promise has come true. Jesus has broken Satan's power. That liberates us to a different sort of life. It will still contend this life, this Christian life, will still contend and struggle, but it is a struggle which is now conducted in hope and faith. And for that hope and faith, it is a struggle which is fought more vigorously and with greater fervor, even though we ourselves, do we suffer setbacks? Yes. We may suffer repeated setbacks and loss, but we are on the side of him who won a great victory over Satan and the cross, and especially the empty tomb. We do not underemphasize the truth that the Christian life involves battles on the spiritual battlefield. The battle is real. In a sense, it could be said that spiritual warfare is more a matter of living in Christ's victory than it is in fighting Satan. Let me say that again. Spiritual warfare is more a matter of living in Christ's victory than in fighting Satan. When we live in Christ, we are fighting and winning the spiritual battles of our lives. A good offense is the best defense. So how do we live in Christ's victory? Well, earlier we read from the explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed. In his small catechism, Martin Luther spells out the person and the work of Jesus, and then he sums it up and say, by saying that Jesus did all of this, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Living under him in his kingdom. To live under him is living under the authority of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I, I, I would like you to come up with your own perhaps favorite word, picture, or image, but here's mine. Picture a living under him in his kingdom. Uh, picture that as a mighty fortress. A mighty fortress is our God, and, and of course, as Martin Luther penned, we have a champion who comes to the fight, the Lord of heavenly armies, Christ Jesus, mighty Lord, God's only Son adored. He holds the field victorious. And as the Lord then clothed, keep that in mind, a mighty fortress, but as the Lord clothed Adam and Eve, we are also clothed with his righteousness. We are clothed with Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In our baptism, we have put on Christ every day. And Martin Luther, on difficult days, he would go around muttering, 
but I am baptized. But I am baptized. And then living in his kingdom under Jesus' authority with God as our mighty fortress and with a champion who crushes the head of the ancient serpent and clothed in Christ, there is a battle cry. The battle is the Lord's. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, God equips the Hebrew armies of that for battle. First, they sought the Lord's help, and then they heard the voice of the prophet saying, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Because we know that Jesus, as our Savior, who has fought and won the battle for us, many Christians, you and I, find courage and strength in this thought. The battle is the Lord's. So living in his kingdom, under Jesus' authority, with God as our mighty fortress, with a champion who crushed the head of the ancient serpent, and clothed in Christ, the battle is the Lord's. Ringing in our ears, we see a banner. When a king or a nobleman put a banner over someone, it meant that he offered protection and care. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4, we read, His banner over me is love. God has thrown his banner over you and me. And wonders of wonders, his banner over me is love. That gracious divine banner has been placed there by Jesus himself. So living in his kingdom under Jesus' authority, with God as our mighty fortress and with a champion who crushed the head of the ancient serpent, clothed in Christ, with battle is the Lord's ringing in our ears, and we see God's banner of love over us. Jesus has won the victory over the foe, which has broken his power, and now Christ has won the day. The foe still roars and thrashes about, but his end is assured. Your victory has been won. He will not lay claim to you on that last day. And God calls the Christ victory good. And you do not ever need to doubt God's goodness. Even when misfortune and one of life's evils befalls you in this Genesis 3 world, There will be a day when the angel with the flaming sword was removed from the garden paradise on that last day. And meanwhile, you can fight the good fight of faith. You can take courage. You can fight the good fight of faith against sin and temptation. Take courage. You belong to Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.